Hello, and welcome to this episode of a Clean Bill of Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall, and I have a quick question before we hop on over to the episode. Did you know that many physicians are overpaying taxes due to not leveraging their corporation effectively? I've seen cases where a physician is on track to lose out on millions of dollars in retirement because they're not using their corporation effectively. And if you are unsure if you are making the most of the unique entity that is the professional corporation, creating a plan with me and my team of corporate planning experts might be a good move. If you're interested in a plan that shows you how to make the most of your corporation, save on taxes, secure your legacy, and create a thriving retirement, we can create a personalized, powerful plan for you for a flat fee with no hidden commissions, and there is no obligation for you to buy any products from us. If you want to know more, head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com. That's G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. Read up on what it covers and click on the book a call button to book a free call to explore whether a custom flat fee plan is a good fit for you. And now on with the show. All right, welcome everyone to this latest episode of A Clean Bill of Wealth. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall, and today I'm joined by Dr. Latifat Akintade, author of Done With Broke. I am the woman physician's guide to more money and less hustle. I'm very excited to have this conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed us just chatting, so I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. We had like almost like a pre-episode episode. episode. I'm getting ready for the episode. (laughs) So, um, okay. So so we have a lot to talk about. I'm very excited about this book that you've put out, uh, Done With Broke. And first, I'd love to know, first off, like, what should our readers, what should the listeners know about you? And like, what inspired you to write this book? I think that for the listeners, I am a physician. I'm a gastroenterologist. I'm a mama of three little ladies, ages 5 to 10. I am a money coach and creator of Money Fit MD, which is a platform that is committed and dedicated to helping women physicians succeed financially. Um, And the reason why I think that's important is because I think success is something that we can define in different ways. And unfortunately, I think for a lot of women, it's been, we've been taught to define it in a way that excludes finances, almost as a way of keeping us happy while the other people in this world take care of the finances. And I do think that's why medicine and life is the way that it is right now. And so I want women physicians to be financially successful so that they can live the life that they want, so that we can practice medicine in a way that is in line with what we thought it was going to be when we decided to sacrifice our our teens and 20s and 30s to follow this this career that we're called to do. Mm. And I truly believe that money is a tool in that for us to practice it in a way that is well without burnout in a way that lets us have choice in the way we live our lives. And so that's what I do now. I think those are the most important Mm -hmm. things for your audience to know about me. Awesome. Yes. No. And I mean, one of the things I was going to say that I loved about your book is um, first off, you do have the physician's perspective. Like you are a physician. So you're like from you're in the trenches. (laughs) Um, And I loved that your book uh, had like you cited studies, you cited resources. Like it was very like, you know, there's definitely that angle to it as well of like, you know, you are backing this with some research. And the other thing I loved about your book was um, exercises. There are exercises to complete. So when you buy a copy of the book, you get, um, you can click on it. I bought the Kindle version. Uh, you click on a link and you download the guide and you can f- do the exercises, which are very important, obviously. It's a very interactive book, which I really love about it. No, that was really intentional. And actually, what I did not plan was I love my people with ADHD. Some of my loves have ADHD, and some of them have said that those exercises and the summary at the end is being literally brain saving for them because they're able to figure out, okay, what is the point of this? And then they can actually go back and read the chapter and look at the book. So I'm glad that I did that even without it being intentional. So I get to serve people that, that need to be served. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the exercises are great. And the, and the summary at the end, that was really great too. Like that, those bullet points at the end. No, very, very good. Now, um, so one of the things I really, as I was reading your book, I was taking notes cause I was, you know, I knew we were going to have a podcast episode. So it's like, all right, what am I going to ask when we get together? Um, one of the things is, um, the, a big part of your book is about money mindset. And I couldn't help but wonder, like, what would you say to someone who is, who let's just say it like, who thinks this is too woo or too out there or like mindset doesn't impact like 
what do you what is your what are your thoughts on that you know i was one of those people i actually <laughs> not that i thought mindset was whack but i didn't even know mindset existed when it came to money and and i will say for those that have heard about mindset and like oh this is rule it's okay it may not be the book for you and that's fine and what i hope is that what you're already doing is working and if it is then I'm really happy for you. If you have the finances you want, if you're living life on your terms, if you feel like you have the power to make changes in the things that are not, then great, then you're good. You don't need any additional resources and maybe you, there's no need for a conversation at that <laughs> point. However, if you're like, well, Atifat, I'm not where I want to be in my finances. I'm not practicing medicine the way that I want to. I'm not, I feel like I'm living life in a way that is not at the full capacity that I want to. Then those are the people that I'm talking to. And that is who I was um, until a couple of years ago. I did not know that mindset was a thing. And honestly, I, I don't even like using lingo. So if you don't want to talk about mindset we can throw that word out of the mm. whatever door or window <laughs> um but we can just think about it as the way that we think about things really determines our lives and whether i think how i think about money how i think about my purpose how i think about my path and my part in medicine affects how i interpret it when i receive data from anywhere whether it's from my kids from my spouses the way that i interpret that data may be different from how my sister may interpret that data based on how her own biases the way she's looked at lives the experiences she's had so all that framework is what people call mindset, but they're literally the aggregates of our thoughts and our beliefs, and really that affects how we relate to things and how we relate to people. And when I started finances or money, like literally seven years ago, I knew zero about money. I mm -hmm. did not know where my money was going. I did not know how much I owed in terms of student debt. I did not know what a 401k was, you know, mm -hmm. in the US lingos. I did not. And I had a lot of shame around it. And the reason why I had shame was there was this assumption that if you're smart, which everybody listening to you is smart, that we should automatically have this all figured out. So the mm -hmm. fact that I did not didn't make sense to me. And I thought it was people said math was like one plus one equals two. And I'm like, I've done even more complicated math than that. <laughs> but this math just ain't math in, right? I look at my finances and I'm like, okay, is there anything else I should, could maybe do? Like, how about I go clean up something else that doesn't need to be cleaned up? Like anything else but what's <laughs> in front of me. And the reason why is because I had blocks that were the result of my thoughts and misconceptions. And so it wasn't really until a couple of years later that I came across the whole thing mindset. And when I did, I literally cried. Mm. I cried. And the reason why I cried was like, you mean this is the main reason behind some of the challenges that I've had when it comes to money in life? You mean this is why my money is not moving positively to the extent that it could be, even though at that point I had made some changes and improved. And, you know, one plus one was now equal to two, but it just was not growing the way that it could be growing. So for me, that was literally the point where I'm like, okay, if this stuff is the main reason why I'm not succeeding, why I think about things the way that I do, why I'm not kinder <laughs> than I mm. that I currently am, right? Why am I less, not as, or why am I more biased than I could be? And I saw that that really entered the question of why a lot of women physicians and physicians in general struggled with money. So that was what led me. I was not on that path to teach anybody else anything. I was literally on that path to help myself. And mm -hmm. I still was not, even after figuring it out and putting it into my finances and having like crazy exponential improvement in my numbers, but also in my wealth ability of my life, literally, I still did not want to teach anybody. So I'm not here to convince anybody mm. I did not. I just wanted to mind my own business, live my life well, <laughs> hang out with my kids, love medicine till I decide I don't want to do it anymore, which I thought was going to be like in my 70s or something. Like I definitely wasn't that. I love medicine. I want to do this forever, Pat. But it was really when the pandemic started and mm. everybody and their mother was freaking out about money, including people that were earning more than I was earning clinically. They were worried because people were getting fired and I had mm. no worry. 
I was not worried about money. And the beauty of that was I could focus on other things. I could focus on my kids' mental health, being out of school. I could focus on my parents being well. They were out of the, they were in Nigeria at that point. You know, I could focus on helping and supporting my colleagues decrease their own burnout because I suddenly was not as burnt out to char as a lot of people were. And so it was really at that point that I was like, you know, almost kicking and screaming, to be honest with you, like, okay, I guess I have to do this and serve people with this thing that I know can actually be helpful. So that's how Money Fit MD got birth. And honestly, the experience has been humbling, amazing, mm. and it will continue to be even more humbling because we're going to do even bigger things in future. But seeing the path that like the role that combining money and this quote unquote mindset or whatever word you want to call it as has led to in the women that I've had the opportunity to work with, it's impossible for anybody to convince me otherwise because I've seen the results. Mm. So again, if it's working for you, the status quo, I'm so happy for you. This is not for you then. But if it's not and you still don't think the mindset is a part of it, that may be why you're not making the progress that you could be making yet. And it may be time to try a different experiment. Very cool. No, thanks for sharing all that because I, I, I totally got that this was a journey you took on yourself. Uh, without any intention of necessarily helping anyone else along the journey. <laughs> but it's like you discovered it, turned around and said, all right, I'm going to help some people at a time when people really needed like help. I got that. Like when, when finances were top of mind for a lot of people and maybe it wasn't before. And I love that you say like, yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. Like it may not be the path for people, but if a path isn't working, it's something to, to check out. Now you brought up a word that I was one of the first things I wanted to ask you about, which was shame. Uh, and you also brought up something that I totally see all the time. And even myself, before I became an advisor, I kept thinking, I'm a pretty smart guy. How come I can't figure all this out myself? Right. And I'd pick up books and I'd pick up, I'd read, I'd read, I'd read, I'd read, which is something we can talk about later. If I was picking up all this knowledge, but it wasn't leading to action, but the shame and there's shame. And then I think also another thing I find is fear, um, where there's a certain level of shame of like, I don't understand why I can't figure this out. Cause like you're saying, physicians are smart people. You, you say it over and over in your book. I love it where you're like, we do complex things. We, we, we do very complex things with our brains and like, you know, and, and continue to, to kind of uh, hammer that home. So what is it about like the shame side of things? Like, what do you think people can sort of look at to really um, like, what is that process? Is it like embracing the shame or like, you know, kind of like working around it? Like, what does that look like? Absolutely. I, you know, shame is one of the most useless things ever. Mm. It is completely useless. Shame and regret, they go hand in hand. They're like mm. brother and sister, and they're just two of the most useless thing. I, I literally sit down and I think, because I don't think of emotions as positive or negative. I think of them as like helpful or not helpful, useful or not useful. And shame is just one of the most useless things ever. Like there's literally, I cannot come up with a good reason except to keep people confined, to keep people restricted, um, to keep them in their corner and away mm -hmm. from mainstream. Um, it does nothing good about about shame. It's like an abscess. There's literally nothing good about an abscess. And if you want to treat an abscess as physicians, we know that we give IV antibiotics sometimes. However, we do know that a lot of times, you know, we the abscess just needs to be drained. If it's tiny, an antibiotics may treat it and dry mm -hmm. it up. However, after a certain size, we definitely just need to open it up. And that's the same thing with shame. Shame mm -hmm. is something that we that grows or thrives when you don't let air into it. So the more you keep the things, the more shame is going to thrive. And part of shame is shame is not something that is caused by us, unfortunately. Shame is something that's caused by the system. Shame is something that the system is created this environment for, and sometimes it's multi-generational, where people of all colors and specifically even minorities and women, you know, traditionally financial education, as you know, was not really built with us in mind. It's not built with physicians in mind. Mm -hmm. It is not built. It's sort of like the stay in your micro corner and let everybody else, let somebody else take care of this. And so there is that expectation. And then what happens now is we've, 
over time conditioned us or created the perfect system for women and physicians in general to not do finances and to keep them in there, we're going to say, well, we're also going to make you feel like there's something wrong with you for being in there, even though everything we've done is to keep you in there, right? So of course we feel shame, but shame is not your fault. It's not my fault, but it's something that we can choose to opt out of. And it's something that I've chosen to do. And the way that I've chosen to opt out of shame is doing something that feels really uncomfortable comfortable, which is what, I mean, think about it like an abscess. An abscess doesn't like it when you're like, open it up. <laughs> it's like, no, sorry, this may be the most nerdy. No, I'm, I'm loving it. It's a great, it's a great visual. <laughs> right? Abscess is not like, hey, we cannot wait to be drained. No, you cut that open and they're like, what is this? It's sun. We don't want to be seen by the light. Like, you know, <laughs> and the same thing is true for shame, but the only way to let that be result to let that area heal is to bring light into it mm. and it's the awareness of it it's speaking it out and that's why it's important for us to have areas and spaces for people and women where things where they feel safe and comfortable having this conversations mm. um i carried a lot of this i could not even ask for help and that was part of why i wasn't growing as much as i could because the people that i could ask for help f- acted like they had it all figured out since birth and you know you're a physician how dare you don't know mm-hmm. about money that doesn't help me come out and ask for help but when I addressed that part, when I did the uncomfortable thing of letting myself be cut open, which is not going to feel comfortable the first second in the short term, but in the long term, it's helped me be mm. the person that I am today. And, you know, I see that a lot in women physicians that are like part of my community and go, you know, the conversations we have here is conversations that I don't, I've never felt comfortable having because I mm. thought there was something wrong with me. And now I'm like, you know what? Maybe if Latifa can talk about her, how crappy she was about money, I can talk about that too. And the funny thing is most times people are actually not even bad with the money. They just are so closed up that they're not getting the help that they need. And once we open that up, amazing stuff happens. Amazing. Yeah, no, I love the abscess analogy. I mean, these are visual, it's medical. <laughs> it make it, it it works. Um yeah, no, so much of what you said, like, uh, I mean, yeah, like the people you ask make it sound like they've had it figured out since birth. And like, what I find is a lot of the loud, a lot of the people who are, um, the most vocal in, in, in the, in like physician communities are usually people who have just like this incredible passion towards figuring this stuff out. And so people look at them and they think, oh, I need to be more like that person, or I wish I was more like that person, like that whole shame and regret thing you're saying. Or almost everyone I've sat, down with for financial planning when we start talking they almost always say i feel like i'm i feel like everyone's farther ahead than me because like we're not talking about it or maybe the people who are talking about it are the ones who are like more advanced or they've had you know whatever has happened that they've 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 been able to achieve more and uh, so that's one of the biggest things i help people do is pull back the curtain a bit and be like well i meet with enough people behind you know the non-public conversations to know that like this is where you stand but it also doesn't really matter that much where you stand in, in relation to them as to where you stand in relation to where you need to be um yeah no so many good things um now one of the things you talked about was you know saying oh traditional financial planning isn't designed for physicians and um and you talked about how physicians and it's you know female physicians are kind of kept in in a spot uh you know to to not be empowered around their finances can you talk just a little bit more about that because that's very interesting to me absolutely i mean if you think about it in an ideal world so let's talk about what the current state is you go to med school you get debt because for many people, that's the only way to pay it. And I'm grateful for the debt that I have, to be honest with you, because or that I had, because mm-hmm. without it, I would not be the physician that I am today. I would not have my MD degree. So I'm grateful for it. But what we're not given is we're not given num- the tools to know what to do with that debt. Mm. That's number one. The other thing is, I think everybody would agree that the student loan business, it's, it is a business, it's very predatory. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. graduate with 150K in student debt. And by the time you go through seven years of post-medical school training, you'll have like 200 and something thousand dollars while you're out there trying to help people and learn mm-hmm. how to be excellent at what you do. So I think that should be illegal, to be honest with you. I think it should be super low 
interest rate to the point of just like maintaining and mm. paying for the people that are servicing it or should be completely subsidized. I think that is in the best interest of the com- of the society at large. But those are my thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. However, what I find is when I actually sit back and think about the relationship and why medical training in general does not include more financial education and empowerment, um, I think it's really because a lot of <laughs> if you think about a relationship, I love analogies. If you think about yeah. a two-person relationship, I'm married with my husband, so I can use that as an example. Imagine if one of us thought that it was better served for the other person to not be think they're free. Mm. Right? They are more likely to stay if they think they're not free. And if they stay, they stay in the relationship. They're not there because they want to. They're there because they don't think they have a choice. Right. So unfortunately, in a very abusive, narcissistic kind of relationship, one partner could think that. And like, as long as you're here, we're winning. And I think that's true for medicine a lot of ways where it's, an, you know, you know, there are some relationships in medicine that are great, meaning mm-hmm. like a physician and an employer scenario. It's not like they're all the same. However, there are some significant percentage is not healthy. However, it's actually at the it's at the disadvantage of the healthcare system because if physicians were in medicine because we wanted to, not because we had to, we mm. would change so much more stuff. We would practice medicine with authenticity and our patients would actually get served by that. So in my opinion, I think the healthcare system actually wants us stuck in a relationship. And that's why a lot of financial education is not part of the healthcare system. And then when we now mm. think about you know financial education, of course, there's no one size fits all. There are physicians that are horrible and there are financial advisors that are horrible and there are mm-hmm. some that are amazing. So there's no one size fits all. Obviously, the fact that you and I are talking, your pattern of the way that you advise your, your clients, you obviously want them to be well. But I, that's not always the case, yeah. right? And unfortunately, a lot of people go into relationships with even advisors sometimes and it feels like they're being told that they should just you know live it to us would be the only person taking care of it. Mm-hmm. It can be a mal, a non-ideal relationship that is not necessarily focused on both people and mine. And keep in mind that we as physicians, we've gone through medical training and undergrad. Um, while our colleagues that were in class with us in undergrad were are now earning money, we're still like, you know, second year of a 12-year <laughs> yeah relationship where our student loan is only acquiring more interest on it. So by the time we finish, the get slow to the, you know, do it the slow track way is an option, but I don't think it's necessarily the best option when done only for physicians. Because a lot of times, if you also think about it, when we talk about traditional financial planning, there is a lot of like, you know, index funds, which again is great. Optimize your retirement accounts or a 401k, the Roth IRA, keep your money in here. But it's still a lot about being stuck in this relationship when we're only relying on one source for Mm. our, our income. And that is the part that a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to burnout. As long as you depend on one person only, you still as a human being are thinking what happens if that relationship gets severed, right? If you don't truly have that wealth mindset, if you don't truly have that expansion of or, or ownership and empowerment of what do I actually own, you will always think that you only have one source of oxygen. And when you do, it's just hard for you to think about what would happen when you severe that. And as long as physicians don't know that they're free, and I'm saying no because we are free, as long as we don't know that, as long as we think we're stuck, as long as we think our source of employment is our only source of income, nothing is going to change. And I truly believe that burnout is only going to increase. Mental health is only going to, mental health and wellness is only going to increase in physicians. And our patients are ultimately going to be the ones that are going to pay the ultimate price for this. Mm-hmm. Wow. So much in there to, uh, to look at. And I got like, yeah, like really um, one of the things around, like you said, like um, if you feel trapped, right, feel trapped in the way that you have to do things. And like you said, like, I love that you brought up, you know, the idea that, you know, there are, um, you know, uh, advisors and like sometimes it can feel like you're stuck only doing it one way. And, and, and the body in the Earlier, you talked about biases that everyone has that you have to sort of unpack, uh, which I'm also very big on because I think it's it's one of the hardest things I've had to do, which is is, is identify my own biases because it's kind of attacks my identity or what I believe to be true when I uncover something as a bias. 
And I think it's tough for people to do that sometimes. And like one, some of the biases you talked about in your book, or at least my uh, thoughts is around debt and around, you know, different things that the thought that people bring to the table is so impactful. So, um, one of the, so when you're talking about, you know, that ab- entrepreneurial abundance, like multiple um, ways of, of, of uh, getting success in, in finances, like, what does that look like? Sort of like you've mentioned different retirement accounts, um, like, you know, the ones you have in the US, we have similar ones in the, in, mm-hmm. in Canada, right? Roth IRA is basically like, a, I don't want to make too generalization of assumptions because I don't know a ton about American financial planning. I know a bit about it, but like, we've got things like something called a tax-free savings account, which is similar to the Roth, uh, to the IRA. We've got RRSPs, which is similar to 401ks. And we have corporations, which are also uh, physicians can incorporate up here, which also, I think you can. I mean, my dad, I remember he was incorporated when I was in the States. So Mm -hmm. you can do that down there. So that's another like tool for building wealth. Um, But when you're talking about that shift of like from one sort of like one source of oxygen, oxygen, like you said, like what does it look like for someone to create multiple sources of oxygen? Absolutely. I think in order for us to talk about that, there's something that came to mind as you were talking, which Mm -hmm. is one of the things that I find with us as physicians, which is a struggle that we have, is that we're so, we're, we, we went through all this training and training was hard for a lot of us. It was a sacrifice. And it was, there's this assumption that we're going to be done with training and we're done learning Mm. from scratch. We're going to be done with training and we're going to now be able to drive into the sunset. Right. Right. We're going to be done with training and now we're a physician and this level we're in. I mean, yes, we're going to get more experience and get even become an expert, more of an expert in what we do clinically. But that's it. And that thought right there, that sentence causes more stress because we're so tied up to what our MD or DO degree meant Mm. 20 years ago. And we're not being realistic with where things are in this time that we're in, in a culture of burnout, in a culture where hospital and insurance and admin have so much control, Mm. right? They didn't years and years ago. Now they do. So in order for us to succeed now, we have to be willing to acquire this whole thing. And, you know, some people call like the MD 2.0 or whatever, like we need to change how we think about what a physician is. Mm. And the reason why I say that is everything that I'm going to say going forward, there are people that are going to resist that if I don't explain the fact that that is a shift that needs to happen. I hear people tell me and I have, and I'm very privileged and grateful that I, a lot of my members are we're actually in different parts of the world we have us we have canada we've had nigeria we've had thailand Mm. we you know just like different parts of the world and so i've had the pleasure of hearing a lot of things from them about their thoughts and the key is this if we're not going to be willing to evolve if we're not willing to change nothing else is going to change and we're going to drown that's just the bottom line so when we talk about diversifying income source, that has to be the place because what a physician was 30 years ago is different from what a physician is now. A badass physician today has to be a physician that loves, that recognizes the expertise that they have clinically. We've been trained. We're going to, we're excellent. We're not going to fall to the level of our less trained alternative or whatever you want to call it. We're going to rise up to the level of our excellence, which is the excellence that we've gained in medicine. We need to start to see ourselves as our own identity, as our own brand that we can now release to whoever we want to listen to, including ourselves, our business, S Corp, LLC, or whatever else you want to call it, or the employer that you work for. But ultimately, your brain is your biggest asset. Mm-hmm. And now the question is, where else do you want to take that asset? Where else do you want to leverage that asset, right? I can do things like the retirement stuff. I can do the taxable account stuff, um, you know, but I could also ask myself, this brand of mine is like pluripotent. It can Mm. do whatever the crap, like my MD degree is a license that I get that is a permission for me to now, like I now have this highly skilled brain that has been refined through years of like conditioning and training. And what else do I want that to excel in? So, you could call that a side gig. I don't necessarily like using that terminology because I don't believe in necessarily side gigs, but I can just choose to say, where else do I want to excel at? What else do I want to make better in the world? And the things that I make better in the world in exchange for that, I get a sort of wealth and that could be mm. financial or non-financial. So what I do in Money Fit MD is an example of that, but that mm-hmm. doesn't have to be what you do. You could be someone, I have literally people, I have a physician in my community right now who is a Native American and for her, her big thing 
thing was that, you know, she loves being a physician. She loves medicine, but she also see the part that herbal medicine has to play. Like the knowledge of herbs as a highly skilled physician who trained at one of the best universities in the world. Mm -hmm. And now she's like, I want to be able to bring that expertise and teach people. So now she has a tea line that she's created that she actually makes herself as an MD that can now educate people about how tea can help with wellness, with sleep, with digestive mm -hmm. health and all this other stuff. And now she started a course where she teaches primary care doctors how to be educated about herbs and how they can use that to better take care of her patients. Like that is her practice in medicine in a way that's outside of the examination room, but 100% in line with the wellness and health she wants to see in the world. And she's going to build a multiple seven-figure business from that for sure, right? If mm. she was attached to what an MD was 20 years ago, she's not going to be able to serve her primary care doctors, her patients, and wellness. The things that she stood and took a Hippocratic oath to do, she's not going to be able to do that in 20 23. But because she's willing to evolve into who she is now, she's still taking care of them at the bedside, but she gets to do that in a multi-level now. Mm -hmm. She's doing real estate as well because she's like, my husband is a breadwinner and we can optimize that to better take care of our taxes. She's doing it actively. She's doing it passively. You get what I mean? So it's not a one size fits all. It's a question of like, what do I want? Who do I want to be? Right. And figuring out how we can leverage that after learning how to optimize our mindset in a way that is more elevated, in a way that's more wealth-minded, in a way that's evolved for what it should be in 2023. And honestly, if we can start to think about it this way, the sky is going to be the limit in terms of how we serve our patients, but also how we can be well in medicine. And we will burn out less because now we know that we have options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. So widening the scope or widening the vision of what a physician can do with their lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Our patients are screaming for that. Yeah. Our patients are begging us for that. Our patients are like, mm. help me, like, teach me how to take care of myself. Teach me how to not listen to junk and people that are not trained, like, help me get where like, no, I'm going to just sit and be stuck with what a physician was last year. Mm. And again, we can do so much more if we're just willing to hear the people that are begging us for help, not water down what we know to be right, but ask ourselves, like, you know, I have physicians that are saying things like, I want to help patients have better sexual health. I want to help people know how to take better care of their skin. And how can I do that in a way that it's not limited? How can I do that in a way that really serves those that I want to serve? And yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I love what you're saying about so creating those multiple sources so you're not relying on one source of oxygen. You talked about the brain being the most valuable asset, which is huge. And there's um, you know, there's a concept of um uh like mental slash physical capital and like human capital and like wealth. And so like the way that I think of it is while we're working and doing things where we're earning money, it's kind of like we're mining, like we're mining resources, right? Like we're using our time and our brain to mine and we take some of those resources, money. And we spend it on our lifestyle. And a big part of what I believe is that, you know, we have to take some of those resources and put it somewhere so that we can replace our engine. Like we can replace the miner, so to speak. Like we're mining bricks. We need to create a brick factory so we don't have to go out and mine bricks for the rest of our lives. And so I love what you're talking about around, yes, continue work as a physician, but look at expanding what other things you can do. And real estate was another thing that you mentioned quite a bit in your book. Um, and, and, and like you said, it can really help with burnout, even if someone were to continue their clinical work, but they know that they've got options, they don't feel as trapped, right? Which has got to be a huge relief. Huge. I have an example of a physician I'm thinking about mm -hmm. right now who a couple of years ago, um, you know, when I started talking to her about money, she was like, oh, I'm good. I earn great income. I, mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I was being looked like, like I was crazy. Like, you know how, like, someone tells you, like, there is going to be a tsunami or there's going to be like apocalypse. And you're like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, literally, that was how I felt. So I had to have my own inner resolve and know my own why and be willing mm -hmm. to do what I knew I needed to do. But that's how she looked at me. Like, I was crazy. I did not. I just loved to not trust that my clinical income was going to be mm. good enough. And I'm so grateful that. A couple of years ago, about two and a half years ago, she decided to start listening and actually doing some other stuff that I'm talking about. And fast forward to two years later, she actually was burned out. Mm. 
Mm. And also had injury at work. Mm. She had an injury at work. And for her work, it was a procedural field. And if she had the injury to even something as little as a capitano can make someone that's in a procedural field really struggle. And Mm -hmm. it became a concern of, am I going to be able to do the work that I want to do or not? Um, They had seen someone for, they did not really want to go down the disability line, but they just wanted to have their work changed a little bit so that they can continue doing what they wanted to do. And that was a challenge that this person had with their employer where they did not want to make that change. And again, knowing that she had options made the biggest difference for her. And she, I mean, I can just see how the story could have been so different if she did not think she had a choice, if she thought she was stuck, if she thought that was the only source of income, if she did not mind her business of her money business before that event happened, it would have changed everything for the negative for her. But because she had things in order and because her mindset, for lack of a better term, was also in a wealthy way where she knew she had the abundance of options, it made a difference. She was able to sort of like ask and advocate for herself better she was mm-hmm. able to risk the thought that she could lose her job by advocating for herself by actually advocating for herself and she was able to keep her work with changed hours and even she ended up thanking me later and then going i'm so grateful that you encouraged me and told me to look beyond this life that i thought i knew what the future was going to hold but instead be prepared for anything because of that reason i get to practice medicine differently and you know that is everything we don't i don't i didn't know i was going to take a sabbatical i did not like literally a little over a year ago i did not even know i was going to be interested in a sabbatical but the work we do today the things we do today to set ourselves up for the long term makes the options that we don't even know we're going to need in future more accessible for us. And because of that, I get to leave this year and give this gift for myself and my kids mm-hmm. in a way that I never imagined that I was ever going to want. So, Very cool. Yeah, and it's amazing to take that time off with kids. <laughs> it's a very unique experience, what you're up to with traveling. Yeah, no, I, and thank you for using the example because I think that's wonderful to hear. Like, you know, and I, and your book is full of examples. I love it. I don't know. I can't remember if the pattern was every chapter, but I feel like almost every chapter had a real life example of someone you've worked with and supported with, um, you know, with these um, different concepts. And and like what you said, like this physician, like you said, like you're kind of coming out of nowhere with sort of this crazy theory. And they're like, I don't think you're right. But, then you know, you kind of saw something they didn't see yet. And uh, which is understandable. Like, people, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And, um, you know, when you said this, you mentioned this thing about, um you know, options and multiple, uh, you know, oxygen and like not feeling so tied or trapped. You know, it's really funny. Um, I wasn't planning on talking about this at all, but I had a conversation with a friend the other day uh, and it ties into our conversation because it was about mistrust of advisors, actually. And I forget, I totally forget that there's so many people out there that don't trust people in my profession or potentially don't even trust me because I'm always hanging out with my clients and people who have hired me to create plans. Like I'm always hanging out with people who do trust me. And have maybe trusted me for a decade with their wealth, right? And I was talking to this friend of mine who's a good friend, but he's a bit mistrustful of the industry. And we had this conversation. And one of the things he said is one of the reasons I don't trust your industry is because I feel like you have to sell something to me. Like you have to. Like you, 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 you must. Like you can't choose the option where you're not going to make money. You have to choose the option where you're going to make money, even if it's not in my best interest. And it hit me really hard because like, oh, like I never thought of that as a concern people have. Like I just, you know, maybe when I started as an advisor, it was a bit more of like, oh, this really has like I became an advisor because my wife hated her job. And she I needed to make money and she could quit her job. Like that's one of the reasons I did this. And then I started to love it. And I was like, oh good. I'm glad I love this because it's hard for me to do things I don't love for very long. Anyway, so maybe in the beginning I was like, oh my wife has to leave her job. And like, you know, I was maybe a bit more concerned about oh, things that have to work or things that don't have to work. But I've always had this theory that as long as I do the right thing for the right people long enough, Everything's going to work out. And that's what's worked so far for 10 years. So I'm not going to change my philosophy. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because I do know like what it can feel like, especially like, you know, in other jobs I've had where it was more of a, you know, know, employer, employee, not not employer, employee relationship, but where it was like, I didn't think I had options. Like I thought I had to be a teacher 
for the rest of my life because I spent all this time getting a master's and everything. And I remember coming home from the, that first week of school as I was exhausted and I was panicking because I was like, I don't know if I can do this again. Like, and I always would get through it and the year would go okay. But anyways, I brought it up just because I know what it's like to shift from that feeling of, you know, I have to make this work versus I have some options and that freedom that comes with it. It's uh, it's simple but powerful. It's uh, and it's such a simple thing that most people overlook how important it is. And mm. honestly, even in the in the middle of the pandemic, I had an experience, and I don't think I talked about it in that book. I don't know if I did or not, but I had this experience where you know the pandemic was hard for a lot for everybody. Mm. Mm-hmm. It was hard for everybody, regardless of whether you believed the pen, you know, COVID was real or not. If you believed it was not real, you're it was hard because you had to deal with all this annoying people saying right. it was. <laughs> and if you believe that it was real, like a lot of us do, then you're like, What's wrong with humans? Like, why don't you come spend a day with me in the hospital? Mm. Right, kind of deal. And as a GI doctor, you know, we put in um feeding tubes and mm. I put in more feeding tubes in like in one year of the pandemic than I'd done in my entire career, including my training put together. And the reason wow. why is when people on a ventilator, you know, they need feeding tubes and people got really sick and needed extra prolonged time on a breathing support and all that stuff. And also people bled a lot because as part of the treatment for COVID, there was a lot of anticoagulation and blood thinners and the GI tract is a place where people would bleed. Mm-hmm. And so it was really busy and we would be you know, we're doing it in the middle of the night. We were exhausted and mm-hmm. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I remember one day and you know, one of the reasons why I chose to do my money to actually go from being afraid and fearful and all that stuff to doing it was because I did not want to live a life where I was apologizing to my kids for the choices that I did not think I have. Mm-hmm. So for me, I've always had the thought of, I want to practice medicine for a very, very long time. And I want to love medicine. I want to be there because I want to, not because I Mm -hmm. have to. I want to love it. So doing my money was part of that. So here, so even when I went to the hospital in the middle of the night for a bleeder or someone, for someone bleeding or someone that had food stuck and needed help, I don't think I've ever regretted going into the hospital, even on call. Mm. And I'm grateful for that. And the reason why is because I choose to be there. I don't have Mm. to. And so in the middle of the pandemic, I remember being at the hospital in the middle of the night and I was exhausted. I was tired and our calls are busy. And I just had this heaviness on my shoulder, which is where I hold my stress. Mm -hmm. When I'm feeling stressed, I hold it around my neck and it was just there. And I'm like, what am I even doing here? Like, I don't even have to be here. Like I have Mm. options. I don't have to do this. And I was like, actually I'm here because I want to, Mm. not because I have to. And instantly that pressure that I had on my neck went out like just relieved by like significantly at least 50 percent like almost gone just because of that awareness that actually i don't have to be here i'm here because i'm choosing to serve this way i'm here because if my patients are seeing me at one o'clock in the middle of the night as much as i don't want to be in the <laughs> you know i'd rather be sleeping but i'm glad that i'm the person that gets to encourage them at one o'clock that one thought can literally if i did not have that thought i would have gone on that day with that pressure and the next day and you can see how that can spiral and that can accelerate my sense of burnout even without anything changing, right? So that ability to know that you have options, it's a gift that I want everybody to give themselves. Mm. And there's no one size fits all. It doesn't have to be you doing active real estate. It doesn't have to be you doing money fit empty in a scale like this, but it goes back to even something as simple as knowing what your money is going at the end of the month. Like, what am I spending on? What is my essential? I call it like the minimum viable expense. Like, what is my minimum viable expense? Mm. And you will be surprised that what your minimum viable that you actually absolutely need is not not everything that you earn. And if you can figure out like, okay, what can I do? How can I leverage my money? How can Mm. I pull my hands and maybe someone that has time so that I can earn money that way? And if my minimum viable is met, hmm, suddenly I have choices. And just knowing Mm -hmm. that alone is everything. And that's a gift that I believe every physician can give themselves. It's not fancy. I don't do anything fancy with money, even our money, nothing fancy. I don't, my life is fun. I love my life. I don't need to, 
I, listen, I have more, like, I spend more time talking to women about money than actually spend doing my own money because m- my money doesn't need a lot of time yeah. to be done, right? But <laughs> if we can just solve that now, you get to enjoy your life and live your life and ask better questions about how you want to spend life serving yourself mm-hmm. and others around you for the long term. And that is the best gift we can give ourselves, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I I meet people who we will show them. So people, so one of the first physicians I ever met with, I said, "What are you most concerned about financially?" And he said, "I'm terrified." He said he's in, he was in his 30s at the time, and he said, "Every time I go on vacation, the doctor that comes and does locums is in his 70s, and I don't think he's doing it because he wants to do it. He's doing it because he made some bad decisions and he can't retire yet." And he's like, I'm terrified of waking up one day in my 70s and I'm doing locums because I have to, not because I want to. And I, that really hit me because I was like, that is a real tangible fear this guy has. Now, sometimes we show people they can retire and they say, you know what? I'm okay. Like, you know, it's there's a very different thing when someone's working and they know they could flip a switch and stop and not have to keep going. Like, it's different. Like, you're talking about but it's also a, a, what you're talking about is like a, a, there's a choice there where you kind of stopped yourself and looked at how am I relating to what's happening right now? Am I relating to it as a burden or a choice, which is really powerful. And I have to ask you about this one line in your book uh, that I think is fantastic. And it says that um, when money flows into the hands of women, everything changes. So I knew I just had to ask you more about that. Like, what does that mean? I mean, I'm very biased and I'm happy about my bias <laughs> in that regard. And the reason why is this, I, you know, and it goes back to that success, defining success. Mm-hmm. And I wish we did not live in a world where people with money have more say. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, whatever it is that your cost is, it could be the exact opposite of mine. It doesn't even matter. I'm not trying to get everybody on my side necessarily, but I just look at the examples of what money can do in the world, right? And a lot of times when we look at leadership in the places that matters, it doesn't even represent the percentage of what our ratio is of like men to women in the Mm -hmm. world. It does not. And just not because anyone is evil or good or bad, but when we just think about like representation, I cannot speak to the things that may be important to you as a man. I just, there's just some parts, like you're not going to tell me about the itch and scratches you have at two o'clock in the morning. I'd never have those itches and scratches, whatever that is, right? (laughs) So the key is if we want to solve problems that we haven't solved yet, Mm. then we have to be willing to change what what the table looks like. And so we've tried an experiment for a very, very long time of what the ratio is, whether you talk about like gender, you talk about like ratio. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, I just have an hypothesis that if we tried a different experiment by not swinging to one extreme or the other and just finding how can we bring more diversity to the table, we're going to address problems and we're going to find creative solutions that we've never thought about before, right? And some of them are going to be so simple. They're like right behind us, but I can't see behind Mm -hmm. myself. But you see, you're behind me. You're facing in the opposite direction so you can tell what those issues are. And so my thing is this. If we want to solve problems, unless our world is already perfect, and if it is, then let's not change anything. (laughs) But you and I can agree that there's so much that needs to change in our world. And so to do that, we just have to try a different experiment. That's number one. Number two is, you know, you and I were talking earlier about even international work and the fact that if you want to change environments, it's there's something about the role that women in communities Mm -hmm. play, right? If you want to educate a community, you educate the women. And in fact, even when I look at my own life, personally and I look at and not just me but like a lot of people that I work with if you look at the the perception of the financial state of the woman it impacts the financial state that the children believe that they belong to mm-hmm. right and so if we truly want to change like what wealth looks like in future it would be foolish of us to not focus on one of the key players which is the role that women have in our community and I also think that women in general and this is not to this is generalization. So of course it's not going to be always true, but in general, women tend to think about how we can give a lot Mm. more. Like how can we give, how can we flow? How can we get this? Right. And so if we want to change things, we need to equip people that are going to choose how they want to spread it out. Mm. 
mm. to different things that we haven't thought about before. And honestly, this is just an experiment that I'm willing to bet on <laughs> right now because until we've had evidence that the re- ev- until we've had evidence that this experiment led to a result that we haven't considered yet, then it's foolish of us as a culture, as a world, to keep trying the same thing and hoping for a different experiment. So I'm willing to entertain other experiments as well, but this is one that I think we haven't tried yet. So let's give it let's give it a go and see what happens. We can reassess in 10 years and readjust as needed. Yeah, no, I love that. No, and definitely, I mean, I as I mentioned before we hit record, I used to work in um, uh, grassroots development. And there's even, this was 10, no, this is more than 10 years ago. It was like 15 years ago. And even back then, we had a lot of good examples of uh, grassroots development projects that focused on empowering women in communities around the world. Like it was pretty, uh, you know, it, 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 it was across cultures where they had tremendous success in general with empowering women uh, financially, with it, whether it be education, finance, community building, whatever it was, like working together. Like that's another whole other topic of, um, you know, uh, the grassroots development, authentic grassroots development, not coming in and telling people what to do. But um, yeah, I think it's fantastic. And statistically speaking, also, at least the last time I read the studies, it was even from an investment standpoint, women tended to make better investment decisions than men when it comes to um actually like market decisions um and they're underrepresented what's that sorry you want to know why yeah 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 because our ego is good we're good yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's not a nothing to prove yeah we got nothing to prove yeah yeah no i i I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't remember 100% the results, but I remember it was something along the lines of something to prove, you know, trying to knock it out of the park, you know, like some like r- crazy thing, and uh, and and women are definitely underrepresented in the uh, investment community when you look at fund managers or you know pundits around finances, like definitely underrepresented. So I love the idea of like you were saying, like s- not swinging so far to one other side, but looking at better representation. And like you said, like you'll see problems I don't see. And the more rep- more diversity we have at the table, the more things people will see that we aren't going to be able to see. I'm not going to be able to see because I just have my own experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's cool. a key. I think it's really healthy to talk about the. It's not about swinging to one extreme because that's mm-hmm. something that I think is just as dangerous as the status quo. Yeah. But it's a place where we can all just like bring our brains together and just <laughs> troubleshoot and create a yeah. different recipe. You know, my husband is someone that I highly respect. He's smart. He's a... Uh, you know, I'm like, it cares a lot about the mm. wellness of, and so to think that people like that would not, would be deprived of just is as bad right. as what we experienced before. So in my opinion, it's, there is a middle ground and I want us yeah. to find that middle ground so we can do great things together because we need y'all on the table too. Very cool. Well, I love that. Very good. And the last thing I want to make sure I ask you about is, you know, on the heels of this concept or this experiment like you're saying of trying it out of like putting more money into the hands of women can you tell us a bit more about what it is like to work with you and you know the example you used of yourself of you know um you were in that situation where you're overwhelmed holding all the stress in your shoulders and then you kind of paused reflected and like shifted like i feel like that's something that can be learned and i can't help but wonder if you teach that to the people you work with (laughs) Um, but like not something that necessarily people, even if you know to do it, you don't, you can't always do it. Right. So anyways, I'd love to hear about what does it all look like? Like in, in one way, I mean, I know you do a lot of work with people, but like, if there's some way to sort of, you know, bring it all together of like, what does it look like when you work with people and what, what, yeah, what does that look like? You know, so I have a community, I have a women physicians, a money coaching school for women physicians, which is the basics of financial education and adding like the power of learning how to think about money, the emotional part of money, because that's huge, right? So I call it like I help women become like more wise, like Mm -hmm. almost like digging into our own wisdom when it comes to money. And that way, kind of what the book Down With Broke is talking about is the whole concept of being the CEO of our finances, right? And I think that part of this is we've also, and I want to make sure I say this, it's not always like the financial advisors are bad. We've mm-hmm. also done them disservice, right? By putting power, like when I think about the people that work for me, if I'm not being a great boss, if I'm not taking my position as the actual leader on the team, it makes it harder for also them to be the best they can be. So it's Mm -hmm. both ways. And part of what I do is I really want women to take our seat as a CEO of our finances and also as a CEO of our life. So usually when people work with me, they work with me. I have people in my community that I've been there for about like two years now since we started. Mm -hmm. 
but they work with me to 12 month contract for the most part. And we meet together every week where it's either myself or someone that I trust to an extent, the extent mm-hmm. that I can trust another person come talk about other aspects of like wealth building. So it's anything from how to create the life they want, how to manage their time better, how to partner with people doing interesting things. So things like, you know, syndicators, we've had syndicators come. Mm-hmm. And because one of the challenges people have is, okay, Latifa, this is all great, but how do I actually find people to know, like, and trust? And so what I, part of my work is to help people have money, but also help people learn how to separate themselves enough from the money that they can start to leverage that money and build it. So Mm -hmm. I bring people in that I, you know, you can't trust someone else a hundred percent. I can't even trust myself, but at least I trust the ethics of what they're doing with money of how Mm -hmm. they're using money, not to destroy communities, but to build communities. And so I bring those partnerships together. And so my women are doing things like investing in passive income, whether that's like syndications or storage facilities or, you know, other things that they may be interested in, but it's bringing that and being a bridge to that. So that's kind of what I do. It's helping women physicians become the CEO of their money and their life. You know, it's, um, you know, the example I shared earlier about the woman that makes these, she had no idea. This was not even mm-hmm. on her radar. She's been in my community now for two years. She was working in a practice that she loved. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, serving the people that she wanted to serve. She thought she was going to be there forever. And then the leadership changed. Unfortunately, she had a medical need that came up that was actually pretty urgent. Mm-hmm. And she requested time off and it was declined. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just declined, but she was actually fired. This is an excellent person. She was fired. This is a job she thought she was going to be at. And for your audience that's listening, physicians, we're kind of a touch of cray. And we do things like when we're not feeling 100%, we still show up and serve our patients because we don't want to disappoint our Mm -hmm. patients. And this is someone that she was not fired in three months. They literally walked her off the premise and called security to escort her off the premise. Um, And the patients that were scheduled with her were told that she had a family emergency. So they lied to her patients. Mm. And this is a great person that I would trust my life with. Mm. So this is not someone that is a bad physician or had professional issues, none of that. And this, and she's a breadwinner, married to a stay-home parent. Um, fat, wow. You know, she's a has kids. So you can imagine like all the sticks, like everything you can think about yeah. was like literally. And for her to go from where she was to where she is now a year later, where she's has her own part-time practice, works part-time for another physician. They've diversified. They have active real estate investment now that they're doing. And now because of how we've helped her really tune into who she's meant to be, that is how the whole thing about the tea and now educating physicians has come out of it. So this is what we do. We help women physicians really own into who they are so they can build their money and their life because when they mm. do, everything else follows. So it's, it's so much fun. It's I feel like it's a privilege, to be honest, to sit down in the rooms that I get to sit in every Thursday with my women because um, these women are leading and we get to help them be better leaders by helping them be empowered financially. Mm-hmm. It's a gift. That's incredible. Yeah, no, thanks for that. That example is that's definitely a big one. Like, and I know that maybe people listening don't have as or, or aren't anticipating something as extreme as that, but still in in everyone's own like version of that, right? Of like being trapped in some way, shape, or form, or being, um, you know, not being free uh, to do what they want financially. So very cool. Thank you for sharing that, uh, with us. And so I thank you so much for being on the show. I could keep talking because I still have so many questions from the book, but I think at the end of the day, everyone, you just got to go get a copy of the book it, or, I mean, so go to your, your website is moneyfitmd.com. That's also your um, Instagram handle, right? Money Absolutely. MoneyFitMD. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, if you go on my website, you can see a click to Amazon where you can get the book done with Brooke, The Woman Physician's Guide to More Money and Less Hustle. I'm glad I wrote that book. The feedback I've been getting from humans, it's been honestly, I'm still catching up to it, to be honest with you. Because yeah. I think sometimes people forget that the people that are doing things are also humans. This mm. is not, none of this is what I envisioned two years <laughs> ago. Yeah. So there's still a part of me that like catches up to the fact that I cannot mm. believe that I'm writing something that is impacting women the way that it is and so yeah go get yourself a copy of the book i would love it if you read it let me know what you think about it if you hate it let me know <laughs> uh, feel free to let me know what you do differently because i know i'm gonna have other books in future but this is a great place for us to start 
Yeah, absolutely. So to say it one more time, head on over to moneyfitmd.com. There you can uh, link to the book, links to learn more about the programs that you offer. Um, I highly recommend. I, I loved the book. I absolutely loved it. And I'm not a female physician, but it was still very, very valuable for me and to get in the mind of, you know, like to understand the reality of female physicians a bit better. But um, no, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me here. Thank you for doing what you do. I mean, I've really been a privilege meeting some financial advisors uh, recently. I mean, I have friends that are financial advisors, mm-hmm. but meeting financial advisors that are listening. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that that's a key, like, listen, figure out how can I actually serve. And the beauty is when you serve, you will make a lot of money, too. It's not <laughs> like it doesn't have to be the way it was done before. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important for people, for physicians and humans in general, to experience people that actually care about them, that have a why that compels them. Because, of course, we want you to get paid. You should get paid for the work you're doing, too. That's important. (laughs) And I think there's that old way of, like, one person can be served and not the other. But Mm. I think of hands washing each other. And I love the financial advisors like you that I've had the pleasure of meeting recently, which is, like, hands can actually, like, you can do well and I can do well, too. And that's that's what it's going to take for us to really have a great partnership. So thank you for, for that. Thank you. I I appreciate everything you just said. Thank you so much. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day. Enjoy time with your family. Be sure to say hi to them for me. I know that you're going to enjoy sunny Curacao a bit more (laughs) while you're there. Yes, I will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having joined me on this episode of a Clean Bill of Wealth podcast. I truly appreciate you taking the time to do so. It really warms my heart to see the numbers of people listening to each episode go up, and it's just a lot of fun. Uh, Be sure to check back through past episodes to find insight on everything from more efficient charting practices to better sleep for physicians and much more. If you'd like to make sure you're leveraging your corporation effectively for taxes, retirement, legacy, and other financial matters important to physicians, please head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com to check out the work that we do with fee-based planning. Our fee-based plans are powerful, customized to you, and there is no requirement to buy products from us and no hidden commissions. You get clear, unbiased recommendations based on our expertise, helping hundreds of incorporated Canadians, just like you, create their ideal financial life and future. Again, it's galenhelpstocks.com. Click on the book a call button at the top for a quick and free conversation to find out whether fee-based planning makes sense for you. Thanks so much for joining me. Take care and see you at the next episode.